John the Baptist. says, hey, uh, baptize me. Uh, and John baptized him, baptized Jesus. We see, you know, the, uh, the, the sky open up, the dove ascend, the Father, hey, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Right after that, it's, the Bible says that Jesus, the Spirit compels Jesus to go into the wilderness compels him. So people think, well, you know, Jesus wouldn't allow me to, or God wouldn't allow me to go through a hard, well, uh, Jesus went through 40 days of a rough time, a rough patch uh, of being tempted by the devil. So, but right after that, he comes out, John gets arrested, and that's where we, that's where we're going to pick up our story. Jesus begins to preach. Uh, Chloe, if you'll help me out, please. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What is the good news? Here it is. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus tells the people, repent. Now listen, the word repent has gotten a bad rap. Because usually when we hear the word repent, most of us, our mind goes to that man on the street, standing on the corner, telling us to repent or we're going to hell. Come on. Anybody, that's, that's what we see. So it gets a bad rap. But what repent means, it means to change directions. Now, let me, let me say this. It's not where you go out and live like hell and live like hell again. To make yourself feel better and then go out and live like hell again. Are you hearing me? That's not repentance. Repentance is a change in your heart, a change in your mind, but also a change in your behavior and in your action. So Jesus shows up, looks at the crowd, says, the time has come. This is a defining moment in your life. Why? Because the kingdom of God is here. Repent, believe the good news. This is a defining moment for these people. And guys, it's a defining moment for us here because Jesus is telling them and us, the kingdom is here. But if you want to see what the kingdom of God looks like, if you want to experience what the kingdom of God is about, if you want to be part of it, it starts with repenting. 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 Change directions. Change the way you see things. Right after that, Jesus lays out this challenge, same challenge right here, to four young men, two sets of brothers, James and John, Peter and Andrew, or Simon and Andrew, and this is what he says to them. Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 16. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. That's important. Verse 17, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and followed him. The Passion reads it like this. Immediately they dropped their nets and left everything to follow Jesus. The next two verses, same thing, same thing happens. Verse 19, a little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's son, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once. They also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. That's kind of funny to me. Uh, but in, what the heck? Where my son's going? But in both instances, they left what? 
everything, everything to follow Jesus. Does that seem radical to anybody else? I, I, I mean, two different sets of brothers that had spent a lot of time building up their fishing business, building up their clientele, and out of nowhere, Jesus shows up, says three words, come, follow me. They leave everything and follow him. My question is, why? Why would they do that? Why, why would Simon and Andrew, James and John, leave everything to follow Jesus? But to understand the why, we need to understand their culture about Jews, Jewish young, Jewish, young Jewish boys and, and, and a rabbi. See, Jesus was a rabbi. He's referred to as a rabbi at least 13 times in the New Testament. He is identified as a rabbi in all four Gospels. Luke 7, he's called a rabbi by his disciples. In Matthew 22, a lawyer, religious scholar, calls him a rabbi. Luke 12 and Matthew 19, regular, ordinary people refer to him as a rabbi. And get this, Luke 19 and Luke chapter 20, even the Pharisees and Sadducees called him rabbi. He's a rabbi. So Jesus also gets called a teacher a minimum of 40 times throughout the New Testament. Here's why that's important for this teaching. In the first century, rabbis were some of the most respected people in the Jewish community. Uh, they, they were considered the best of the best of that community. They, they, you could know, you know he's a duff as a rabbi. You can just say, hey, today, uh, there was no, you know, these uh, doctors that get just what they call honorary doctorates. There was no honorary rabbi. I mean, you had, it was something you earned. They were very well respected. And, and Jesus, their rabbi wasn't the head of a religious community or synagogue. In fact, the word rabbi means my teacher or my master. My master. They were highly respected for their knowledge of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, they could interpret it, teach it with clarity. They were respected also for their, their righteousness and their character. This, this, this is where it gets interesting for me, guys. Stay with me. Because uh, I, I tell you, man, I was telling my daughter Kennedy about some of the things studying the, that, that just amazed me. But it gets, there, the, there were two different types of rabbis. The first rabbi was... The more common, they were the teachers, Deuteronomy, what else? Is the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, what else? Huh? Some of y'all, I don't know, I'm just going to mumble. Maybe you think I said it. Uh, and then there was another category of rabbi altogether. And I, I called my Jewish friend, uh, Neil, who lives up in New Jersey. And, and I said, man, I'm teaching on this. He, he, called, he texted me back and said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm in the middle of something right now. And I said, hey, I'm, just, I'm teaching on rabbis and the process it took. Uh, and I said, I would love to, for you to help me understand how to say these words. We weren't able to hook up. So he said, I, I look forward to seeing it. So Neil, forgive me for butchering most of these words that I'm about to say. But the other group of rabbis were rabbis known, they call rabbis with shmika. Shmika. This was transferred. You could only get it. It was transferred to a rabbi by the laying on of hands of two other rabbis with shmika. Stay with me. 
See, any, they understood this. Any person could read the text. The Pharisees understood that. But once the text was read, how do you interpret it? How do you decide what it means? For, for example, the Torah, uh, the laws would say this, hey, the, a Jew cannot work on the Sabbath day. Well, different rabbis would interpret that different. Well, and, and the question would come up, well, work, well, can you walk on the Sabbath? Uh, if so, how far can you walk? If you drop something while walking, can you pick it up? How, how much weight can you pick up and carry? How far can you move something? What if the load is shared by others? Are there exceptions for emergencies? And a rabbi could take that text and give his personal, a rabbi was compiled a that text, give his personal interpretation of what it meant. And if you compiled a list of that rabbi's, the way they interpret scripture, you know what it was called that rabbi's yoke how they interpreted the text here's where it gets really interesting usually rabbis what it would have to do is rabbis would trace their yoke back to the rabbi who taught them who would then trace their yoke back to the rabbi who taught them and if you follow the trail long enough you would end up with this exceptional rabbi who had reached this stature and they were the authority on making any new interpretations of the text here's what one writer said about Smeek that to have Smeek with authority authority to interpret the text was and is said to have Smeeka, the Hebrew rod denoting authority. Now, let me ask you, what kind of rabbi do you think Jesus was? The rabbi was Shmika, the authority to interpret the scripture. Why? Because he was the, the word. Are you hearing me? And, and do you remember how, G, how they responded to Jesus after he finished up his sermon on the mount, Matthew 7, 28, 9, 29? When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with what? Real authority, quite unlike any other teacher of the religious law. Here's why I went over all that. If you were a young boy growing up in first century Israel, the ultimate goal was to become a rabbi. You wanted to become a rabbi. Rabbis were real, well respected. They taught the Torah. They taught from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, one of the questions among rabbis in the study was, how young do you begin teaching the Torah or the Bible to, the, to a child? Here's what one rabbi said. Under the age of six, we do not receive a child as a pupil. From six upwards, accept him, and get this, they says, stuff him with the Torah like an ox. In other words, cram as much of, the God, of God's word as possible into the life of this kid. And this was important because in the first century, spiritual education wasn't viewed as a luxury or an option. It was the key to survival. The Torah was considered to be so central to life that if you lost it, you lost everything it took to become a disciple. I want to show you the process of it took to become a disciple or a Talmud. The first level of education for every Jewish kid was this. Bring that up. Bit Sefer. And I'm probably butchering it, but go with me. Here's what it means, house of the book. 
from six to ten years of age. You were taught the Torah, the first books of the Bible. Get this, by 10 years old, you had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized. And some people freak out when I ask them to memorize one verse. I'm talking about, how many many are doing our reading plan with me right now? We've got several. Memorize Leviticus. We've been going through this, and I've commented because we're going through all the purification. And one of the things was you inspect a, a, a sore on someone. And I, I, in the comments, I commented, thank God. I said, because I cannot even watch Dr. Pimple Popper without wanting to puke my guts up, much less having to examine somebody's sore up close. Contrary to, po- contrary to popular belief, you know, when Brad Paisley sang a uh, Check you for ticks. It's not as sexy as it sounds. <laughs> Bits and fair. What was the equivalent of elementary school? Five, six-year-olds, they would study. They would memorize the Torah. One of the goals of the rabbis who taught this age was to create a hunger inside of every student. Get this. I love this. Some rabbis were known to place a drop of honey on the tongue of each student when they would read it to remind them that the Word of God is like honey on the tongue. Rabbis wanted their students to associate the Word of God to something sweet. One of the reasons that memorizing the Scripture was so important because they didn't have printing presses, they didn't have the Bible app, so if you didn't have it committed to memory, you didn't have it. So during during this uh, first first level of education, the debt... So fair, the weeding process was going on. Here's what they were doing. They were weeding out those they felt like didn't have what it takes. Those went on, those that remained went on to the next level. It's called Bit Talmud. Bring that there. Thank you. House of Learning. This is from 10 to 14 years of age. They studied, get this now. They studied and memorized the entire Hebrew text, the Old Testament. Come on now. They learn the Jewish art of questions and answers. Well, what I mean by that, instead of answering with an answer, they were taught to answer with another question. Anybody remember anybody in the Bible that did that a whole lot? Jesus. Jesus. At this level of education... The top students from Genesis to my entire Bible memorized at time all 39 books from Genesis to Malachi. Those that couldn't make the cut, well, they return home to the family, learn the family business, start families of their own or whatever. The best of the best, though, went on to the third level of education. Yet, Midrash. Stay with me, guys. This is important of study. Here's how this works. Stay with me, guys. This is important. If you made the cut, if you were considered the best of the best, you then, as a student, you would find a rabbi that you respected. You would apply to be that rabbi's disciple or Talmud. It was the equivalent of putting in an application for college and then waiting to get that acceptance letter. 
But by the time, this was the goal again of every Jewish boy 15 and up in the first century. And they understood this. Being a disciple meant more than just being a student. It meant that you had made a decision to devote your entire life to following this particular rabbi. See, the goal of the disciple wasn't just to know what their rabbi knew. The goal was to become like their rabbi. That was the goal. So when it comes to being a disciple, when we talk about the anatomy of a disciple, our goal is not just to know a bunch of facts about Jesus, our rabbi, or about his teaching. Our goal is to become like Jesus. That's the goal. Another thing that stands out to me about Jesus' interaction with Simon and Andrew uh, was this. A rabbi never went out recruiting for disciples. It was considered beneath them. They didn't go recruiting. You came to them. If you were, you, you, you came to them, you, and you came to them with this attitude, Rabbi, I want to become one of your disciples. I want to follow and become just like you. Will you accept me? That was you putting in your application. What would happen? That rabbi would look at you and say, does this kid have what it takes? Can this kid do what I do? The rabbi would then begin to test them, recite the books of Deuteronomy, recite the books of Leviticus. He would question them about the prophets, about interpretation of Scripture. He would grill them with questions about the Torah, traditions, about teaching of others. Get this, according to what I wanted to know, can this kid be like me? Get this, according to one author and theologian, Arthur Ray, Arthur Ray Vanderlein said this, only around one out of 10,000 Jewish boys made the cut. So if the rabbi did decide you were one of the one in 10,000, if the rabbi decided you didn't make the cut, you weren't the best of the best, he might look at you and say, hey, you know the Torah, it, it, it's obvious you love God, but hey, this ain't your bag. Go, go back home. Go back home. But if the rabbi believed you had what it took, the rabbi would look at you and say three words. Come, follow me. Sound familiar? Once that rabbi said, come follow me, get this. That 14 to 15-year-old kid would leave home, would leave mom and dad, would leave their local synagogue, leave the village they grew up in, leave their friends. They would leave everything and would devote their entire life to becoming exactly like that rabbi. This is what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, when he said this, A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That was the goal of every disciple of every Talmud, to become just like their rabbi. In fact, there was a saying that developed among the wise men and sages uh, of the Mishnah, which is a set of Jewish writings and interpretation. And this saying became a blessing that they would speak over rabbis' disciples. They say this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. 
What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means the, ro- there, the roads weren't paved. The roads were dirt and dust. So in the town, when you see this rabbi coming into town, and behind him with, were these young disciples just trying to keep up with him. Well, after a long day of him walking and the de- dust and anything else the rabbi stepped in, splashing upon them, they were covered with that rabbi's dust. And, and you know what? That was a good thing to them. Because they wanted to be just like their rabbi. One article I read said this about the, uh, being accepted by a rabbi. The disciples' job was to become like the rabbi in every way. Get this. If the rabbi was hurt and had a limp, you might see his healthy disciple behind him in the dust of the rabbi with a limp. Hmm. Why? I want to be just like their rabbi. You know, here's something, another interesting fact. A rabbi would begin their public teaching and training of their disciples right around the age of 30. How old was Jesus when he officially started his ministry? Around 30. Look at this, Matthew 4, verse 18. This is Matthew's telling of this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net in the water for they did what? What did they do? With all the knowledge I just dumped on you about disciples and the rabbi, let me ask you, why were these guys fishing for a living? Because they weren't disciples. They didn't make the cut. They were at best C students, at best. And, and, did, did, and let me ask you, did, again, with all the knowledge I just dumped on, dumped on you, do, did rabbis go recruiting? No. But check out verse 19. Jesus called out to them three words, come, follow me. In other words, come, be my Talmud, be my disciples. And he says, I will show you how to fish for people. Immediately, they dropped their nets and left everything behind to follow Jesus. Why? Again, why? Why? Why did they leave everything? And here's what I think. Jesus, a respected rabbi, shows up. A rabbi with shnika. And he shows up and looks at them and says, Come. Follow me. Be my disciples. Jesus, this respected rabbi, saw something in them that nobody else saw. Jesus, this respected rabbi, see, they'd already come to the terms with this. We weren't good enough. So this is what we've got to do the rest of our life. But then this respected rabbi comes and says, I believe in you. I believe you can be like me. I believe you can do what I do. Oh, and so they drop their nets. Here, why do they drop their nets? Because the rabbi believes in me. He believes that I can do what he does. He believes I can be like him. Listen, here's one thing you need to say. You may leave here today or be one of Jesus in this message, and you may say, I, I, I'll, I won't be one of Jesus' disciples. I'm making a choice now. But you will not leave here saying, I can't 
be his disciple because Jesus believes in you and he believes you can be his disciple and you can be like him. I'm telling you, when you understand the relationship of rabbi and disciple, it makes it under, even easier to understand. Do you, do you remember the time when the disciples were out in the boat, Jesus had sent them on their way, they get in a storm, and these young teenagers, they're trying to, they're just trying to survive. Well, out of nowhere, here comes Jesus walking on the water. He's going to walk on bound. What's up, guys? <laughs> Bible says he was going to walk on bound. And they were like, they thought he was a ghost until they heard their rabbi say, hey, 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 don't be afraid. And then Peter speaks up. Rabbi, Lord, if it's you, let me come out to you. Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of his boat, and for a brief moment, he's walking on water. For a brief moment, he's doing what his rabbi is doing. Then he sinks. And the Bible says that Jesus reached down, lifts Peter up, and says these words, Peter, why did you doubt? Who, who was Peter doubting? It wasn't Jesus. Jesus was still standing on water. I think it was Peter was doubting himself. I think for a brief moment, he's like, man, my rabbi, I, I, if, if my rabbi can walk on water, I'm going to at least give it a try because I want to be just like him. But when he gets out, he takes steps, and he begins to see the wind of the waves he begins to doubt the fact that I can be like my rabbi. He begins to doubt the fact that, hey, I'm nothing more than just that fisherman, the person that Jesus found me. And Jesus, Peter, basically it's what Jesus says, Peter, I believe in you. Why didn't you believe in yourself? Why didn't you believe that because I believe in you as your rabbi that you could? you asked to do at the end of this time his time on earth let's move on Jesus sits down with his disciples and gives them this following commission Matthew 28 18 through 20 Jesus came and told his disciples I've been given all what remember what smika around disciples of authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, you became my disciples, but that was just part of it. Now you go make disciples. This was the mandate set in place by Jesus, this rabbi with Smeka. Disciples who become like their teacher, get this, they make other disciples. And Jesus says, therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, giving you, and be sure teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to close by giving you two important things to remember today. The starting thing, and if you're taking notes, it's this. You need to remember this. I've been chosen by God 
So I will live with an awareness that God believes in me and chose me to be a disciple of Jesus. I've been chosen by God. See, Jesus didn't do things the, other, the way other rabbis have done in the past. Uh, rabbis, in the past, you had to approach that rabbi and ask, can I follow you? Do you believe I have what it takes? Jesus went recruiting. He met people right where they were and invited them, come, follow me. See, his recruiting wasn't based on whether they were a four- or five-star recruit. It wasn't based on their education, their IQ. It wasn't based on their social status. His, his, his recruiting was based on one thing, his sovereign and extravagant grace. That's what it was based on. Before Jesus gave the Great Commission, he looked at these young men who had left everything, and he said this, John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Whoever's my disciple will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. What must have been going through these disciples' minds when they hear this? I mean, we're, we're going to do the things that our rabbi does? Greater things than a rabbi does, we're going to do that? What's all this about going to the Father? What's that business? The reality that Jesus was telling them was setting in that their rabbi, the one they had dedicated their entire lives to, was leaving. And their insecurities must have set in. How can we do what? our rabbi, what Jesus did, much less greater than what he's done. But then in the very next chapter, Jesus gives who Jesus says we are. We are so prone to, to, to go back and think we are who we used to be. But Jesus reminds them in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Did you hear that? You didn't choose me. I chose you. When people tell me I found, they found God, uh, no, God wasn't lost. You were. God found you. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I believe that God, that Jesus was reminding this group of misfits, this C-class students, I chose you and you and you and you, and I know you can do what I can do. This is vital when it comes to the anatomy, understand the anatomy of a disciple. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but what's greater than that? He believes in me. Man, I had teachers that didn't believe in me. Anybody ever had, I had a, my, my band teacher in high school, because of my cousin Dirk, and I hope he hears this, and what a horrible Student he was in band. The moment I, I, I went into band, my teacher, Mr. Shen, Frank Shen, pulled me into his office and said, I know you're going. I dealt with your cousin Dirk. 
I won't put up with the same things I did with him. You know, but I had teach. I, but see, yes, I believe in Jesus, but he believes in me. He believes I can live this life. He believes I can get this right. He believes I can do what he does. You need to see, hey, I believe in you, Derek. I believe in you, Billy. I believe in you, Crystal. I believe in you and you and you. And you can do what I do. You need to hear that. Man, I hope you're getting this. The second and final thing. Becoming a disciple of Jesus isn't an event. It's a lifelong process. not a one time and done it's a process I think we need to understand that more understand they're walking through the process too maybe you're a little further along in the process but maybe you need to remember back when you were in where they're at in the process and how bad you were at it Maybe some of you, when you got saved, man, you quit sin. You quit doing, I mean, everything was just, you quit. And, man, you, you were like, oh, man, sin was no fun for me, thank God. And I'm like, well, you didn't do it right because sin was fun when I was in the world. But this process of Jesus transforming me, of changing me, it's a process. First Peter 2.21 says, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, you an example, that you should follow in his steps. I love the way the message said, the message reads it like this. This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. Becoming a disciple, guys, isn't just a one-time event. It's a lifelong process. And the only way you're going to become a disciple is by following Jesus step by step. It's not about knowing all the right information. It's not about knowing what to say or when to say it. It's about the process of transformation, of becoming someone who loves like Jesus, lives like Jesus, talks like Jesus, responds to people like Jesus until we become just like Jesus. That's what being a disciple is about. That's the anatomy of a disciple. So I have to ask a question. But you have to be completely honest with yourself. Knowing what a disciple of Jesus is, do you believe Jesus believes in you? And are you willing to leave everything, including your own preconceived ideas about what it means to follow Jesus? Are you willing to leave everything and follow him regardless?
want 2022 to be different? Become a disciple, a real disciple. Begin to allow Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out. Begin to ask Him to, to, to allow you to love people like Jesus loves people, to see people like Jesus sees them. If you will begin to do that, no longer will you see the woman that may, maybe doesn't dress as covered up as you'd like. Maybe you'll, you'll quit seeing them as a tramp or a whore. Maybe you'll begin to see them as a daughter of God. Maybe you'll quit seeing the person that, 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 that yeah, yeah, man, man we, their eyes are glazed over. You know they're higher than a kite. But maybe you'll quit seeing them as an addict and start seeing them as someone that God loves and cares for. Maybe you'll quit seeing a single mom who maybe made a couple of bad choices that got her in the position she is and, and quit saying, well, she got herself there. Maybe you'll start seeing her as a daughter of God. Maybe you'll start seeing the young man or young woman that is struggling with their sexuality. Maybe you'll start seeing them, stop seeing them as a faggot or a lesbo or whatever you want, and start seeing them as a daughter or son of God. God says they really are. Are you, man, I hope you're hearing me. You're either, this is either soaking in or I have taken you off. And if I'm taking you off, I pray God deals with you. You know what my prayer for you is? Bring that last slide up. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Kelly was covered. Say anything about me at the end of my life. I hope they say Kelly was covered in the dust of Jesus. He walked so close trying to keep pace, trying to keep up. Yeah, he tripped and fell, but the moment he tripped and fell, he got back up and was just like trying to get there. And he was covered in the dust of his rabbi. That's what I want said about you today. That's what I want said about every one of you, young, old. If, man, if, if we're going to make, uh, if we're going to make a difference in our communities, in our families, Listen, this being Christian in name only does not work. All you do is offend a lot of people because they don't see what a real follower of Jesus looks like. Make a decision today to follow Jesus. Stand with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. Sing it out. I have desired Sing it out, church To follow Oh, I have I have decided To follow Jesus No turning back This is where it gets tricky. Can you say this?
today, no, no heads bowed, no eyes closed. And don't worry about the cameras. They don't, they don't focus on you during this moment right here. Yeah, I guess. Let me take that. Clean it up real good. Right now, this moment, if you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I'm not sure I've been living my life as a disciple to where I'm trying my best to to be just like Jesus. In fact, if I'm being honest, I prayed a prayer, but nothing really changed about my life except I come to church every now and then. But today, I want to make a decision. If none of my friends go with me, if none of my family goes with me, if nobody from school or work goes with me, I'm going to follow Jesus. If today you've never made that decision to follow Christ, but today you want to do it, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Come over here. Yeah, yeah, but well, Kelly, I do it. If you must ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes, yeah, but then nothing will change. Because nobody knew you made the decision. But here, you're surrounded by people that want you to win. Want you to get it right. So one more time. Today, man, you said, I want to surrender my life to Christ. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. Today's my day. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I won't embarrass you, I promise you. Anybody? Anybody? All right. Those that have made a decision, but maybe you realize today, man, it would not be said about me that I'm covered in the dust of my rabbi. But I want to begin living a life so close to where I'm covered in his dust. I'm covered in his love. I'm covered in his grace. If that's you and today you say, man, uh, I want that. Come on, raise your hand. Uh, listen, I, I've got my hand raised. And I'm your pastor because I know some things need to change in me. Come on, where you at? Where you at? I, I want the passion to be restored in my life to where I'm so thirsty, so hungry for Jesus that, man, I, it doesn't matter who's following with me. I'm, I'm not looking back to see. I'm just pressing in. You got your hand raised. I want you to step out of the aisle right now. Just come down here and make that declaration. 